0: Welcome to What's Going On, the weekly podcast and videocast of First United Methodist Church in Yankton, South Dakota. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of What's Going On. I'm Pastor Katie here at First United Methodist in Yankton, South Dakota, and I'm glad you could join me for this episode. This is your long-awaited annual conference recap episode, and so I have with me uh, the lay members of our Dakota's annual conference that came from Yankton this year. I learned during annual conference that I'm not supposed to call you delegates because you're not actually a delegate from our church. You are a lay member to annual conference. Um, So that's why I said it that way. I learned that. Uh, So I have with me today, Craig Sherman, Bob Thuey, and Dan Johnson. And so uh, we were uh, at Sioux Falls for Dakota's annual conference uh, earlier this month in June. And so we're going to talk a little bit about our experience, about some of the things that was, were covered at annual conference and uh, go from there. And so I just want to ask kind of the general question of what were your feelings going into this year's annual conference? This is not the first conference now for any of you, right? All of you have been to at least one. Um, how were you feeling before going to conference this year?
1: I was glad we didn't have to drive to Bismarck. <laughs> it's much closer this year. Um, not Bismarck is nice, but this was quite a bit more convenient. Um, you know, even uh, last year, one of the things we were dealing with uh, was the disaffiliation process, and so. I was feeling a little apprehensive about how that was all going to unfold this conference. But um, I guess I was pleasantly surprised that most of the work of of that had already been done and this was more of a formal process just to acknowledge the churches that did want to disaffiliate and, and it was certainly had a very Kind of legal feel to it, mm-hmm. very formalized. Um, you know, I don't know how many total churches we disaffiliated at this conference, but we did. It it was sort of a process, and we did it exactly the same way for every one of them. And it was kind of interesting to see see how that was was playing out. Um, I, I guess I felt that it was it was some. It was sad and yet it was sort of healing at mm-hmm. the same time it was sort of like we were making the step. that we're all sad this is happening but it, it also seemed like the end of one thing and the beginning of something new going forward with about the 85% of our churches in our conference that that are of a like mind to move forward um, so that it was it was really neat to see it all play out and it's sort of like we're finally resolving this sort of uh, very uh, sad um, contentious at times uh, thing that we're dealing with with our Methodist Church but like I say it's it's a new chapter I think at this point. Mm.
0: Thank you. How about the other two? How are you guys feeling heading in this year?
2: I was apprehensive about it too because of mainly the same reasons Dan had mentioned, you know Just when we met last November whenever it was in Sioux Falls and did those first 20 churches or 21 churches Or whatever we did up there. I mean it got a little Testy at times Mm -hmm. whereas this like he says was pretty much I mean they've all been through the process they've decided that you know to the point where you weren't going to change their minds Um, but I thought it was handled on both sides very courteously I want to say yeah you know
0: yeah graciously
2: yeah Um, and it didn't get to that point you know I think last year there were a few more when it was first starting at annual conference a few more
0: Right. Harsher words, you
2: know, words this year just seemed like everybody was more gracious about it.
0: This, this is like the third year or the third time of meeting where we've had to deal with disaffiliations. And I think every time there's also a sense of we're more familiar now with the process. Where the first time when we were going through with Dickinson, uh, it was all new and all feeling very rushed, and people didn't understand what the process was or if it was met properly or not. Um, and then even in November, again, just kind of the question of, is there anything we can do to stop this and realizing, I think in that one, that by the time it gets to annual conference, it, it's more of a rubber stamp than anything. Um, and so, yeah, there was a sense of, um, we, we've we been through this before. We know what we're doing. It's sad. There's a lot of lament. Um, but yeah, I, I would say the contention is gone because there was a sense of there's nothing to be done at this point.
3: Yeah, I think that's basically the way I felt going in. I thought, well, we've done this before. And uh, they've got a lot of the glitches that we had in the past when we tried to do this. That, uh, and like you say, it was pretty well decided. It was just everybody understood the process now. Yeah. And so there wasn't any real contention or misunderstandings. People and people were very accepting of the situation, not necessarily happy about it, but being able to accept the situation for what it was. And going in, that's the way I felt, too. And then I thought, well, what I was looking forward to was where do we go from here? i was a little apprehensive about that what are we going to do about this we have Mm. to do something and go and i was really pleased with the hope that i came away with
0: yes yes and i think the way that they structured conference this year really uh was meant to do that in that uh the the conference started thursday morning and the first thing that we dealt with were the disaffiliations and it was like Let's get these done and out of the way, we'll have one more special called Session of Annual Conference in August. Um, I should probably let you know those that date Uh, and uh, that will be the end of the disaffiliations for this time. And so there is a real sense of we're starting to wrap this up and move forward and think about what is the church now and moving forward instead of being kind of stuck in this perpetual cycle. Um, So. yeah, I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. I echo what you guys said. I was, I was anxious about that side of things, um, but also I was curious to see how our new bishop would do in leading uh, and how annual conference would feel under her helm. And so I'm talking about Bishop Lynette Planbeck, uh, who is our new resident bishop. She started in January. One of the things that she committed to and it's a little bit different than what we've had in the past, that she invited another bishop to come um, co-preside with her. And so she invited Bishop McAlilly, who is uh, the Nashville, Western Kentucky bishop. That's the district that our area that he serves conference. I'll get it right eventually. Um, But he's from Mississippi. He was very Southern in, in his accent. Uh, but I found him to be a really welcome uh, addition to to the conference. And what she uh, told the clergy, and I think maybe the whole conference, is her intention is every time we have an annual conference, she's going to invite a different bishop in from around our connection, and hopefully at some point from around the world. Uh, and so that because we have in our ordination service, an ecumenical representation always, and we can talk about that later, but we always have a have a bishop or a clergy from a different denomination to represent the broader church, but she also saw importance in representing our connection and reminding us, again, that the church exists beyond the borders of the Dakotas, which yeah. I really enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. So let's maybe... Um, dive in and talk about the legislation that came before us at annual conference this year. So part of what annual conference does is has um, certain business that we have to vote on. Um, And so let's talk a little bit about that. And if you have any commentary on any of them, I'll just kind of go through them. And then we'll talk about some of the other things. Uh, Because it's not all business, there is uh, some teaching, some fellowship and some uh, holy moments as well. Uh, We did get to use the devices again this year. That is such a game changer. (laughs) I love it. I couldn't imagine, especially because all those disaffiliations took their own vote, I think we'd still be there waiting for accounts if we had to go back to the old balloting system. All right, so the first thing uh, that we that we're going to talk about is the 2024 budget so just like our local church has to have a budget that the church approves of our conference also has a budget that needs to be approved at annual conference there was something different about the budget this year than in years past and and craig i think you've been going to maybe bob too you guys have been at annual conferences longer than i have but uh this year we had both a budget and a spending plan um have you remembered that ever before Either of you? (laughs) And the reason for this is because uh, any official budget has to include uh, paying 100% apportionments uh, to the general church. So the local church has apportionments that we pay on to our annual conference. And then our annual conference also has apportionments that they pay on to the general church. And again, it's going from our smallest localized uh, expression of the church and then all of us kind of pay up higher and and all of that goes to all of our shared ministries and and united methodist structure and so the official budget that includes 100 apportionments to the general church uh, and direct billing um, was five million eight hundred and forty one thousand seven hundred and forty three dollars and eighty seven cents <laughs> it's very important um, but Uh, So they said that this is the budget because we have to, by law, have this in there. But uh, in discussions, uh, what they are really proposing to do, which is the spending plan, would be to not um, pay the full amount of the apportionments to the general church. And so the 2024 spending plan would be 3.06 million. Uh, which is a decrease from last year of about 75% and about 15% decrease from 2022. So they really are looking at how, especially with the churches that have disaffiliated and not receiving their apportionments, how that affects their budget and what they can do. Um, And then another thing that they changed is they had been on a track of reducing the local church apportionments by a percentage point each year. They still reduced it, but now they're on a plan to reduce it by half a percentage point each year. So uh, for next year, uh, our local church will pay 13.5% of our income as apportionments rather than 14%. The goal is to one day hit 10% of our income going toward apportionments, but we're just not there yet. Are there things that you would like to comment about the budget or budget discussion? I also thought our new conference treasurer um, was really great. Jim Ducker. Interim. Interim. <laughs> yes, interim, interim, because, because he comes in, that, that position gets officially uh, designated every four years and we're in the midst of that. So he's technically our interim, but everyone seems to be very happy with the work that he is doing. All right, so let's move on then to the legislative items. Uh, the first two point, pages 19 to 179, legislative items 2.1 to 2.4 were the to ratify the disaffiliation agreements. And it says we had 11. Uh, annual conference this year, all of those were ratified. There were only um, four in the Southeast District, uh, which is not that many. Uh,
2: Weren't there a total of 24 churches
3: now? In the total conference there were 24, there might have been 11 in our Oh, 11,
0: 24, yeah, Yeah. you're right, 11 was in the Northeast District, I read that wrong. 24 disaffiliation agreements, 11 in the Northeast, Seven in the Northwest, those that would be primarily in North Dakota. Uh, seven there, so and then four and two in the Southwest District. So again, what we're seeing is actually there's a significant higher number of churches in North Dakota, more so than in South Dakota disaffiliating. Yeah. Uh, the next one is, was a resolution to create green teams for climate justice, energy conservation and creation care. Um, The legislation encourages every local church in the Dakota's annual conference to create a green team or strengthen an existing one for action in four areas, worship, education, practice, and advocacy, providing children, youth, and adults of all ages with inspiration, knowledge, encouragement, and practical means for caring for creation and justice. Uh, This passed, and so um, that is something, it's not man- Mandating this for churches, but highly encouraging and so which would, would any of you like to talk about? What you heard about this
1: it, piece? I I'll I'll comment. Um, I thought this was a, a, a Very good resolution um, I think that the church can fulfill uh, a very uh, pragmatic or pragmatic um, purpose in helping to uh, officially recognize that climate change is truly an existential crisis, that it's man-made, that there's some things we really need to do uh, in order to mitigate the problem that we're facing. Um, You know, we get a little bit isolated uh, from this problem in that it's probably not going to affect the upper Midwest as much as it does many other parts of the country and the world. So it's something that we need to be part of the solution to help some people whose nations literally are going to go under the rising sea levels. Um, The the areas that are being affected by forest fires more and more. and, and I, we all know from this summer's experience that these forest fires aren't just affecting the places where they're burning. Right. We're being affected a thousand miles away. And it's, it, you know, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to remember that when I was growing up, we maybe had a few smoky days in late August because of the wildfires that were burning out west. I've never seen forest fires burning like this in May, and, and there have been some isolated ones, but I think it's becoming harder and harder to deny that the whole climate change thing is happening. And um, we as a church, I think, have a responsibility to help inform our congregation about, uh, about it and then what we can on a local level do to start helping thwart this this big threat and um, So I next time we have our leadership uh, Meeting I You know have a few ideas um, um, And there's resources available that the conference has uh, Provided to us to help uh, implement some of this and it what it practically looks like is maybe just some education things up on the slides at the beginning of service just little factoids and things it, it can be uh, something as simple as contacting our our electric and our utility providers to do an energy survey which mm-hmm. is usually free to identify is there a uh, do we have a bad window somewhere they can do infrared right. studies that mm-hmm. they encourage us to do but most place, I, I haven't done it in my house and I probably should but some things like that so you know there's a lot we can do and um, i'm kind of excited that it will be a new part of the ministry of this church if it gets approved by our leadership council
0: right and again this is something coming from annual conference that the conference is, is throwing their support behind as well uh, because we all voted on it our next resolution uh, was to form a non-permanent standing committee for disability ministries uh, the Dakotas conference will form a committee that supports individual churches, groups, districts, and other United Methodist groups to facilitate formal and informal groups of Circle of Friends or other ministry and outreach programs with the support and resources of the non-permanent Standing Committee on Disability Ministries. Uh, so this passed, uh, and does, do one of you want to kind of speak to what that is doing?
2: Do you
1: remember this one? <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if I
3: remember that much about it. I, I know a little bit about
1: this. Okay. Too. So, a um, former member of our church, uh, who used to be Sarah Stoddard was one of the people that was um, uh, advocating for this, and in her church up in North Dakota, West Fargo, Flame West, of West Faith, West Fargo, they, uh, as a representation of what this can look like, they've uh, implemented a a program to be more welcoming, more welcoming to uh, uh, kids and other members of the church that have what they're now kind of classifying as neurodiversity. This can be people that are on the autism spectrum, uh, ADHD, things like that, and it can be as simple as just making a more welcoming environment by, uh, you know, some kids that are on the spectrum do not like loud noises. There's can be as simple as having headphones for them to wear to mute some of the loud sounds it can have some uh, uh, little fidget toys and things that they can yeah. use to feel more comfortable
0: that's actually why we have fidgets at our church now is because uh, i learned that from sarah
1: Good. Uh,
0: reverend sarah and so we started having fidgets now at the, available at the church because again what she found was that it was a way for people to help yeah. people pay attention yeah So it's just all part of being more welcoming. Yeah, and and being mindful of are we truly being um, hospitable to people with different needs. Uh, One of the examples that I would give of our church in the past years, for a while we had a young lady attending who was blind. And the first time she attended, she had asked, do you have any hymnals in Braille? And I was... (laughs) I don't think so Mm -hmm. and so we we use memorial money to buy our hymnals and the faith we sing in Braille and then when she returned we were able to say we have music for you Uh, and and realizing that that was a big gap that we had that we were not a hospitable church to someone who was blind and so just being and asking those questions and being aware Um, and so this non permanent standing committee is is not It's non-permanent in that it's not gonna just go on forever, but as long as there's a need. Um, But that would be a group that would help to support any churches who are asking those kinds of questions. Uh, The legislative item 1.5 was a suspension of rules, basically the nominations committee, because just like in the local church, uh, where we have a lot of positions that need to get filled, same on the conference level. And basically with all of the uh, disaffiliations and things kind of shifting, they, they asked if they could just extend or at least pause um, the tenure and limitations uh, statutes that they have in place uh, until 2025. So basically that people won't roll off because they've served their term or um, they can stay serving until that time just to create some stability. You might remember when I came in 2020 that fall, I act, we actually froze all of our um, positions because it was COVID and uh, I didn't know anybody. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how to recruit people. So um, basically the same thing is happening in that past. Uh, legislative item 1.6 was uh, a request to have, so we have a special session of annual conference scheduled in August. This one was a request to schedule an additional one in November f- to to um, ratify disagreements, basically or disaffiliations. However, we did not vote on that one. It was ruled out of order. Uh, because the request did not meet requirements of paragraph 603.5 basically they were supposed to meet with the bishop first to discuss because the bishop is the one who calls uh, special sessions of the annual conference um, and it says that that um, after consultation with the bishop and they did not do that so they did not follow the correct protocol they never spoke with the bishop they kind of just seemed to try to circumvent her a little bit Um, And so that one was ruled out of order, which leaves us with the final one, which is probably the most um, interesting, maybe Uh, at least most discussed on the conference floor for sure. And that was the 1.7, the resolution of reaffirming commitment to retirees and widows. Uh, The resolution seeks to add language to clarify the retiree health policy to include once retired, clergy need not maintain membership in the Dakota's UMC to retain this benefit. Um, even that is a little bit misleading, and I think this is where a lot of people got confused. And so I'm gonna do my best to try to explain, but please jump in if I'm if if I'm not making sense. Um, <clears throat> this is not talking about clergy persons pension. Uh, when a person retires from, a clergy person retires from the United Methodist Church, they have earned pension, that cannot be taken away. Even if they were to uh, disaffiliate or or withdraw from the United Methodist Church, they still have their pension because they earned that. Um, What this is talking about is the Board of Pensions of the United Methodist, Dakota's United Methodist Church, uh, has a policy in place that states that they have a certain fund, and the way they've chosen to use that fund is to give our retired clergy um, a health benefit. Uh, So most of the clergy are of age where they're on Medicare. So again, this is not even talking about health insurance. It's actually a grant that is, uh, or grant isn't even the right word, but basically clergy can apply to be reimbursed for medical costs before they hit their deductible Uh, and so they would pay for their medical costs but then they can apply for reimbursement and get that covered and so it's a grant it's a gift Uh, it's not something they earn like pension it is something that the board of pensions had funding and decided to gift our retired clergy now this has been a very uh, good thing that the pension board of pensions has done And one of the things they're finding is that some of the retired clergy who may be more aligned with other expressions of Methodism such as the Global Methodist Church are unable to withdraw because they would lose that benefit um, and they've come to rely on it. Um, And so what they were asking for is even if they withdraw, they wanted to keep that benefit. And so that that was kind of what was up for discussion. Uh, One of the things they they obviously talked to the Board of Pensions, they had the chair of the Board of Pensions come forward. The Board of Pensions said that their intention with this gift was for United Methodist clergy, retired clergy who remain United Methodist. Um, And that is that is how they understand the intent behind that policy. Um, And so they would not be in favor of changing the language. Uh, then someone uh, asked the question or realized that um, maybe this should be referred to the Board of Pensions and have them make the decision since it's their policy. And then it came out that really the Board of Pensions, like that the annual conference itself cannot dictate to the Board of Pensions what, they, what policies they can or cannot have, um, that they are separately incorporated from the conference. And that really the role of the annual conference is to elect through the Board of Nominations um, the Board of Pensions. And then they have to leave it to the Board of Pensions to determine their own policies. And so the way that this was resolved was there was a motion to refer to the Board of Pensions and that succeeded. Um, How did I do?
1: It's a compli- It's complicated <laughs> issue, um, but I think you did a good job. Um, uh, I I was unaware that that this uh, benefit existed. I think it's a very, it's a it's a good benefit, but I don't exactly know where the pot of money comes from that that funds this benefit. But it, so I it, think
0: it's something like there's an endowment. Mm-hmm and they're pulling from that. And so, and, and the reality is, is that in the future, the board of pensions could determine that they're gonna use that money in a different way. It's not a guaranteed thing, right. um, but that's what how they're choosing to use it right now.
2: Yeah. I, you know, I viewed it as, as a <clears throat> gift to the retired members of our annual conference. And, you know, isn't something that they're Guaranteed and matter of fact I, What I got out of it that we're one of the only Conferences and conferences that even provide this perk is what I'd call it. Yeah, you know, yes. I mean it was available when I taught But I had to put my own money into it You know, and then it'd be, it was a tax thing now I mean they aren't putting any of their own money into it right. So it was a totally a gift from the Board of Pensions to the retirees, you know, that were still with us right so and it was pretty clear yeah. that their policy is that you need to be an active member of our annual conference. And if you withdraw, then you cease to be eligible for that.
3: Yeah, and so that whole discussion about whether they should receive this perk or this benefit or not became mute when it was decided and found out legally that the annual conference itself cannot dictate that policy. Right. That's up to the board itself.
0: Right, and, and they had the conference chancellors, which is the lawyers, actually speak to that, um, because that was a question. Um, but yeah, then it became that it it's, became, it's not it really irrelevant
3: up to, us. to the annual conference because, according to him, we legally had no power to determine what that policy right. should be as an annual conference.
0: Right. We can kind of, and and the board of pensions was made aware that this was a discussion. You know, obviously, um, and so I think in that way. Uh, you know those who wanted to see that policy change the most what they could hope for was that the board of pensions would review it Um, and that's probably happened (laughs) i mean that was the that was kind of what was left with that that's what they were going to do but again it's up to the board of pensions um, what they do with that so um, that was that was all of the legislation i feel like overall um, Overall, things pass pretty, pretty easy, pretty quickly. Um, That last one was the only one, but it's just a very, um, a lot of areas where it can be misunderstood. So that made sense that people were confused. (laughs) But like I said, uh, annual conference isn't just about our legislation. We also had uh, some, uh, a teacher for annual conference and this year they invited Reverend Michael Beck uh, who came to us from the Florida Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. And he is uh, kind of the spearhead of a new movement. And if you were in church this last week, you heard me talk about it called Fresh Expressions. Um, and so I just want to I mean, if you if you listen to the sermon, you kind of know what what I took from it. But I, I would be curious if, if you guys and I think he also spoke at the laity session. So I didn't hear that. Um, but what did you get from him uh, and, from, and from the teaching times or if the workshops that you went to? I
2: guess the main thing I got out of what he was saying is that you know, the church is different today, you know, or people's perception of it, and that you know, there's this great number of people that are unchurched and sometimes it's because they were disenfranchised by the church Mm -hmm. or you know and we live in a different world now the way we connect with people and so what he's saying in the Fresh Expressions movement is basically to do what John Wesley did go out to the people and administer to them rather than put a sign up and say welcome and expecting them to come on their own because there's that younger generation that he says you know they're not gonna do that right (laughs) You know, they feel either hurt by the church or whatever reasons why they aren't coming. But that younger generation, they just aren't on their own probably going to come back. So, you know, and they talked about different ways that we, as a church, could go out and reach people in our community that are unchurched.
0: Yeah, because they exist. Yeah, we used to have the assumption that everyone belonged to a church, whether or not they attended was different. But today, there's a lot of people that don't don't have any affiliation to churches.
3: And I, I like the idea, basically, what he presented was other many examples of people who have a group of people that have common interests. They may not, but they may not be affiliated, like you said, with a church or anything, and they s- decide that, well, we can talk about Jesus in our group, too. Yeah. You know, and I think, you know, maybe it's a, maybe you've got a group of buddies that go out and go golfing every, Tuesday morning or something, you know? Well, why don't you go to the 19th hole and talk about Jesus for a while, you know?
0: You're going to go yeah. there anyway. So. Right, right.
3: <laughs> I mean, that's basically what he's talking about, right. that type of thing.
0: Yeah, it's not adding something else into your schedule, but looking at your schedule and going, where right. am I already, yeah. where am I? Yeah.
3: You know. We all have, you know, most people have groups that they hang out with or do things together. Maybe they have a Card playing club or something or whatever, well they could still take some of that time and do a little spiritual growth at the same time. And I like that idea.
1: Uh, just, um, he had quite a few examples that he demonstrated uh, that what he's done in, in his outreach and um, but like Katie said in her sermon on Sunday, we're already doing some of those same things here. So I think we're perhaps a little farther ahead or further ahead um, with with this concept of not asking people to come to the church, but the church kind of going out to the people, and then down the road they probably will come back to the church. Um, but um, it just—he was a, a very charismatic guy. He had a Really compelling life story and and I attended every session with him that I possibly could because he just had such a good message Mm. It was it was really uh, one of the highlights of the conference. I thought
0: Awesome So yeah, I, I do think that we are we are on that path and and especially and even to get away from the uh, it's like they're not part of our church until they're attending worship. But to really understand that, hey, if they're going to Bibles and brews, that's that's part of the church. If they're attending men's night out or men's breakfast, that's part of the church. If they're, you know, doing lo- loads of love ministry mission with us, that's being the church and and really starting to get away from just worship is the only thing that counts or matters and really moving toward um, how do we take what we're doing here and move it out and really start to see that all of that as valid ministry. Um, and that, that, uh, there are people that are active in our church that maybe aren't sitting in our pews, but are doing things and who are being discipled and who are, who are, uh, sharing, sharing the gospel. And so, and the thing that really spoke to me is that it's supposed to be lay led, And so, uh, as the pastor, usually when I hear these things, I'm always like, okay, I'm just going to add 10 more things to my to-do list where this one was like, no, I'm the pastor. Like, this is a lay-led thing. This is empowering the people of the church to go out and do this. And really my job is to help empower you, encourage you, to fill you so that you can go and fill others. Um, and so to me, that was a much more sustainable model for ministry as well.
3: And it's like you said, you know, in the early years of the settlement of this part of the country, why people wanted to have started church, but they couldn't have a pastor for these churches because it, it just wasn't feasible. So the lay people would have to run the church. The pastor would come and do the sacraments, like you said, on Sunday, and, and maybe give them some help, maybe, or whatever in some way. But it, it's up to the lay people to make the church work, not not the staff, not the pastor. It's up to the lay people to make the church work. If you're dissatisfied with church attendance, you need to do something about it as a lay person. Don't say, well, a pastor's gonna have to do something here. Mm -hmm. It's up to them, you know. And then we come to rely on a pastor so much sometimes. I think, you know, what would we do if we didn't have a pastor? Well, you look at some of these smaller congregations that we have in the state of South Dakota, and they're doing a lot of things, but they don't have a full-time pastor. Right. That church is run by the lay people. They're the ones that are doing the work and the mission of that yeah.
0: church. And that's the way it should that's be. It's the
3: way it should be. It's the yeah. way it needs to be if a church is gonna grow and survive.
0: Yeah. And honestly, if we're if we have the hope of ever calling and raising up new pastors because the pastoral role if if the expectation is the pastor bears the brunt of ministry, uh, there's no no surprise that we have a shortage of pastors or pastors that are burning out because no one person can live up to that expectation. Um, And pastors are people who want to serve and to love and and will try, um, but we just can't do it all.
1: You know, kind of uh, along that same line, another thing that was discussed at the conference this year is what do we do about those Methodist members of disaffiliated churches that were Of the mind that they were open to being more welcoming to 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 gays and having gay ministers and 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 that and the conference doesn't want to just leave them behind so they have um, talked about efforts that are being made to identify oasis churches Mm -hmm. that would be regionally maybe accessible to some of the people but also um, starting an online uh, congregation that would be a resource for people that had sort of felt left behind by the majority of their congregation right so i thought that was really um a a good thing and recognizing um responsibility to to stand with the people that are right well we have
0: some United Methodists that I mean it's 40 miles now before they hit a Methodist a United Methodist Church um, because of the way disaffiliations have happened in certain parts of our conference so yeah uh, one other highlight for me every year it's a highlight is the uh, Celebration of Life and Ministry service that happens on Friday nights. This year is at First United Methodist in Sioux Falls. Um, yeah, I just, I love that service. Uh, and I just have to say that organist was something else. I i was moved physically by, <laughs> by her playing. She was amazing. I love every year they kind of have a different... Uh, different style of worship. It kind of highlights all the different ways that we worship Um and this year it was very traditional and it, it was powerful powerful um, we had one uh, Person ordained Reverend Matt Morrison and then we had three people commissioned one as a deacon and uh, Two as elders in the United Methodist Church. One thing that was kind of fun was that the ecumenical uh, representative was from the ELCA, the Lutheran Church, and it happened to be the brother of the deacon that was getting commissioned. So uh, very small world indeed, but that was pretty fun. Uh, again, the part that always means a lot to me is when we offer a time for people who are feeling called into ministry to come forward, and we had three young people, uh, teenagers, really uh, come forward feeling a call from God into ministry, and, and I'm one of the people that, that has the privilege of getting to pray with them in that moment, and just nothing—nothing nothing beats that for me. So, no. any other highlights uh, for you as as you've had a little time to reflect on conference this year? Something that you're going to take away um, from the experience?
2: Well, I just thought that our bishop did an excellent job, and, and at the end. On uh, Saturday she just said you know she brought up these statistics about you know the UMC I think she was talking about in the US that there were still 45 million I think members because it was like four point, no 450 maybe it was like 4.5 million were the ones that have disaffiliated at this point and it was about what 15 or 16 percent of the churches but there's still 84 percent of the churches that are in the United States that are still United Methodist and that right now we have more United Methodists than we had back in sixty eight or sixty nine, whenever you know the United Methodist Church was formed. Oh yeah. So when we joined with the EUB church, the Methodist Church back then, right now there are more United Methodists in the pews or on the rolls than there were back then. So all these stories about the you know the United Methodist Church going away is not true. No. And that was very reaffirming to me to hear that mm-hmm. at the end. And then as our visiting bishop, you know, shared some things about what was happening in Tennessee. And you know, they were finally going to address maybe the gun issue because of the, of the school shooting down there, which was only a mile or two from his residency. Right. And so, and like he says, it's time for us to stand up and talk about safety in the schools and stuff. We've done a lot of talking about inclusion, but now it's time for the United Methodist Church to come to the forefront on some of these safety issues with like gun safety and things like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, i just um, kind of reiterating what Craig just said. It, it's I think it's gonna be healthy for our Methodist ministry to move beyond this disaffiliation process because there are some really important Social issues, such as the school shootings, and 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 the the bishop from Kentucky even had had family members that had I mean he directly had really been impacted by some horrendous um, gun related violence, and he was just making a plea that we start putting our energies into some of these other social issues that d- demand our attention and our prayers and our efforts.
0: And our and, witness. And
1: our witness and start move beyond these divisive things that have yeah. kind of sucked the oxygen out of our room for a long time now.
0: Yeah. Encouraging us to find our prophetic, prophetic voice once again and be the church.
1: Right.
0: I like that. All right. Well, uh, Like I said, we will be having another special session of Annual Conference in August. That one will be an online version. So we won't be traveling anywhere for that. Um, And that one will just solely be for the final round of disaffiliating churches in the Dakotas. Um, Otherwise, if you are interested in in attending Annual Conference, if you are a member of our church, you are eligible. Uh, You you can... uh, fill out an application. The leadership team application also serves as the application uh, to be considered as one of the members, lay members of annual conference. That gets approved at our local charge conference sometime this fall, but um, you know, I really love hanging out with these guys. And so if, if, if I get to hang out with you again next year, that would be awesome to me. But it'd also be awesome if there's people who are interested, after listening to them going, I'd really like to see what that's about. uh, We'd love to have you uh, throw your name in the ring uh, for that. So I think we've probably taken up enough of your time. Thanks for sticking with us. I hope that you got some of your questions answered. Again, the Legislative Roundup is also in June's or July's Remind, and so keep a lookout for that. Uh, And as always, my door is open if you have questions. So until next time, God bless. Thank you for listening to this episode of What's Going On. We'd love to have you join us for worship here at the church on Sundays at 10 a.m. You can also find us online via our website at firstumcyankton.org or search for us on YouTube.